Well, hey, if you're brand new to Central, just want to say a big welcome to you. We, we recognize every week there's new people among us. Hope you feel welcomed. Hopefully it's a hospitable place. And just to get you up to speed as well, we're spending our entire summer just focusing in on the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase. Now we're kind of getting into petition after petition. There's seven of them in the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we're going to look at your kingdom come. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 6. It's the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds into the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty just outside the doors. You're welcome to have one. And uh, we are going to fixate on the Lord's Prayer, specifically your kingdom come. If you're not familiar with it, if you're not one of the many who memorized this as a kid, here you go. The Lord's Prayer is this prayer, that, a model prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, which goes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so um, we are focusing this morning on your kingdom come. I want you to notice that there's a triad here where the tag on earth as it is in heaven belongs. So it's not just a prayer that the desires that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, but that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed is to revere, set apart, holy. It's for us to understand the name of God. The name of God is a big deal in Israel, not so much in our culture. I mean, my boys' names are Boston and Walker. I think Walker means like one who walks, you know, like it's just, it wasn't really the point, the deep meaning underneath it. We're like a name that's unique, that's easy to spell. That was like our, that was the, the filter by which we chose names. Very, very deep. I know. Uh, <clears throat> but in ancient Israel, for a name to be hallowed, the, the, everything about someone is, it, it, it has to do with their name. And so we're thinking of God's justice, his wrath. His holiness, his faithfulness, his love, everything beautiful about the gospel, his redemptive plan in history is, is all in his name. And so we're to revere that. We're to just to recognize everything about God is summarized in the name and say, wow, we revere it. And so we went there. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven they hallow the name of God. Your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray because God's will is precisely done in heaven. We're praying that it be precisely done on earth. And then this morning we're praying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God is ruling and reigning in the heavens. He is seated on his throne and he is worshiped and adored. May that be so on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the angle by which we're going to look at this this morning. We're going to talk basically, really, definitions about your kingdom come. What does that mean? And then we're going to kind of look at some angles of that to fill out the definition. What I'm trying to accomplish with our time here this morning is for us to have basic and beautiful understanding of what it means to pray your kingdom come. What do we mean? So firstly, we'll look at your kingdom come. Secondly, your kingdom come in us. Thirdly, your kingdom come through us. And finally, your kingdom come upon us. So your kingdom come. What's, a king, what's God's kingdom? Most of us are familiar with kingdom language. My wife, my wife is a bit of a homebody, and, and, and she's set up everything in our home like just the way that she absolutely loves it. And once in a while, sarcastically, she'll kind of come through the door and go, Ah, my kingdom. 
Like she's just so happy to be home in her safe place, you know, and, and everything's just right. And we talk, you know, we talk about kingdom that way. Or, um, we know kingdom because we're part of the commonwealth. The queen's on our money. Like you guys remember money, like, you know, like coins and like pieces of paper. As, anyways, um, like we're familiar with the commonwealth. This last year, a mini-series uh, was done called The Crown, which is really about... Uh, uh, now Queen Elizabeth II, but as a girl and, and being raised in the royal family and, and becoming queen as a young woman and then um, taking it from there. And, and it's very interesting. Um, we see, you know, legend about kingdoms like King Arthur and, and removing the sword from the, the, the stone and anvil. And that was an act, right? That, that, uh, in legend that only the true king could do. And so Arthur was that true king. Also, more recently in the Minions movie, Bob was able to remove the sword. But that's uh, also throughout all of history, right? There have been, we know this, whether it's pharaohs, Caesars, kings, queens, dictators, whatever. There have been good rulers and bad rulers, right? There, there have been those who have um, reigned in their kingdoms well or not so well or rather harshly, but every single kingdom in this world has risen and fallen at some point in time. They've come and gone. And so the rule of God, when we talk about the kingdom of God, is, is so other, so much more grand, so much more full. It will not be overthrown. It's the overarching kingdom. It's the rule and reign of God, most simply put is what the kingdom of God is. And flowing from that, the rule and reign of God are the blessings and advantages of every kind because of his rule. So think of these words, reign and realm, when it comes to the kingdom of God. God reigns with divine authority over his subjects and his kingdom. And his realm, his realm is universal. He's sovereign over the nations, over humanity, over angels and demons, over the cosmos, over individual believers, and over the church. That's his realm. It's everywhere. And his reign is divine with authority. God's kingdom is our focus this morning. The kingdom of God is the dominant theme in the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Over a hundred and over a hundred times in the Synoptic Gospels is the kingdom of God referred to. Like this, for example, in Mark chapter 115, Jesus arrives on the scene and exclaims, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is saying something here that, that's really calling for repentance and submission to his kingly authority. The king has shown up. When Jesus was born, it was heralded as the birth of a king, right? His ministry, his miracles, preaching, forgiving of sins and resurrection were all an inbreaking of God's sovereign rule in the world, which is precisely what the arrival of Jesus was, the inbreaking, the arrival, the inauguration of the kingdom, right? Jesus even states it. He states it softly. The kingdom of God is near, hasn't fully been consummated. It's, it's near. Wherever Jesus the king was, was his rule in that sphere. If you've done much study on the kingdom of God, you'll be familiar with the language about God's kingdom, which is already and not yet. This, this, this holding of these two aspects of the kingdom of God. 
Yes, already the king, King Jesus has come and he's inaugurated his kingdom and it can be seen and observed and we can gain understanding of what it looks like and we can experience some of that and yet it is not yet fully realized. Um, I met my wife, Emily. We, we were, uh, I was volunteering somewhere where she worked. I was a super committed volunteer and uh, we became friends over the course of a year and in the midst of the year, I thought, I, I pictured a conversation in my mind. I had it with her, which was, you know, asking her out a couple of times, but the conversation didn't go the way I imagined it going, which was, I imagined it going incredibly well. And the conversation those couple of times didn't go that way or the way I had predicted. Um, she was very kind about it, but the second time certainly more clear. Um, <laughs> but then she eventually came around or settled or whatever phrasing you want to use. <laughs> It's all accurate. And, uh, and we, had been, we had built this amazing friendship for a year. And so for us, it was like this whole dating thing and engagement thing. Was, it's just like a, it's just something to get through. We were engaged for, or we dated for two months. And I, I'm not advocating for that as a way to go, but that's what we did. Dated for two months, engaged for five months, and then married. And that whole process for us was, actually, I met with a couple last week. We were having coffee together from our church. They beat us. It was like mere days I don't find that very often. I was impressed and I was worried for them. Um, but for us, it was this whole idea. Think about idea of engagement when you're like, this is a formality. We just know we're getting married. We're going to be husband and wife. There's that engagement period where yeah, it's, it's not yet fully consummated. It's not, it's not official. It's not full-fledged, but it's on its way. In some ways, that's a, a picture of the kingdom of God inaugurated in the coming of Christ. But not yet fully being consummated upon the return of Christ. So there's this idea of because the king has come, the kingdom has come. Yeah. But because the king is still to come, the kingdom is still to come. So it's, it's, it's already, yeah. Not yet, yes. So there's a little bit about the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. Now let's start to look at it from a few different angles. First, your kingdom come in us. To pray, what does it mean to pray that? To pray your kingdom come is to pray my kingdom go. Like you can't pray your kingdom come and my kingdom come. You be enthroned on my life and me too be enthroned on my life, in my life. To pray your kingdom come is to pray my kingdom go. So the real question here is, who's on the throne in your life? Like we are so bent, the human heart, towards self-sovereignty. This idea of I govern me. I rule me. Um, this isn't very classy of me, but we're going to go there. Two days ago, I watched a commercial on IBS. I'm not going to spell it out for you any more than that. But even in the IBS commercial, here's the last line of the commercial. Take back control of your digestive health. And, and, and that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing. Um, absolutely. I advocate for that. And yet, isn't it funny that the marketing for IBS is even you're in control. <laughs> you take back control of your life, every aspect of it. I mean, this is the way all advertising, including IBS advertising, evidently, every, all of it, like what's left out? Nothing. It's all about you call the shots. You have it your way. That's how everything is 
pitched to us. It's all about me, though, or it's all about Jesus. We have to decide who reigns in our lives. Is it all about you or is it all about Jesus? Who's enthroned in your life? Is it self-sovereignty or the sovereignty of God in you? When we pray a prayer like this, your kingdom come and, and, and that meaning my kingdom go, um, I think that that actually conflicts with the way a lot of us pray. Because I think functionally, functionally, we might not state it, but, but functionally, practically, the way we live it out, I think many of us have a very unbiblical view of God, especially when it comes to our prayer lives. So just, just think this through with me a little bit here. If your petitions center around, I mean, God cares about our needs. He wants us to come to him. He's a loving heavenly father who cares, absolutely. But if your petitions center around your comfort, your ease, your success, your accumulation of things. Look, your prayer life is actually a lot more like the prayer of Jabez than it is the Lord's prayer. This whole prayer of Jabez thing is really a prayer for God to enlarge my territory, ultimately. And we spiritualize it, you and me, right? If God gives me an acreage, I mean, I'll use it for his glory. If God gives me this or that, I'll use it for him. If God gives me more money, I'll certainly then I'll use it for him. We, but, but what we're really longing for at the heart of hearts in a lot of our prayers is, Lord, just give me, this, give me my wants. Give me what, this thing. And if he doesn't deliver, we think, man, what an unloving God. It's not fair. What this works out to is I think that we expect God to parent in a way we wouldn't parent. Right? So I have a son named Walker. I love him dearly. And I, usually I'm up first and, and he comes down the stairs. And most mornings, before he's had any breakfast, he's just gotten out of bed, he asks for candy. <laughs> like, I don't even know how he's able to do that. Like, candy is repulsive for me, like the first hour of the day, and then I'm game. But, like, for, the rest, but for him, it's like out of bed, candy. And he's asking for it. I'm like, no, no, you can't have candy first. You have to have this sugared cereal first because that's the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to breakfast first. No. And he's so sad. And he thinks, what kind of dad is this? He won't. Yeah, I see it on the top shelf. Why can't I just have it? I'm so, what an unloving dad that I wouldn't give him that. And yet, I'm not just thinking of the present. The easy thing would be to hand him the candy. I'm thinking about his future. Like, I don't want him to be a toothless diabetic at 12. Like, I don't want that for him. Like, I want more for him. I, I, I have his future in mind, his digestive health in mind, all kinds of things, right? <laughs> and so I won't give him that. And yet many, so I won't parent my son that way. And yet many of us expect God to parent that way. Why are you giving me this thing right now that I want, that would make me comfortable, that would make life great? Why aren't you delivering? What kind of dad are you? Isn't it amazing? We expect God to parent in a way we never would. Like we parent our kids with the future in mind. We raise them in light of the future plans that we have for them, not just present wants. How much more so with God? In fact, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, if you, to parents, if you who are evil, I love how straight up Jesus is. If you who are like really evil people, 
know how to give good gifts to your kids? Like how much more does your loving heavenly father know how to give good gifts? We need to trust him with that. And yet um, the call is right in the very same chapter that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus is summarizing some things. And he says, seek first in your life, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Like, that's to be our focus. The kingdom of God, Jesus enthroned, his will, his ways, his desires, right? The things that he values most. We want those to become ours. We want him enthroned on high in our lives. So look, praying your kingdom come is to pray my kingdom go. We talk a lot about living our lives centered on the gospel around here, right? And to be gospel-centered means building our lives on the platform of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So when we're praying your kingdom come in us, in me, we're praying Jesus, your ways, who you are, what you've come to accomplish in the world, make that the very center of everything I live for. I was meeting with a, a guy from our church earlier this week and we were talking about things and, and uh, during our conversation, we we're talking about sin in our lives, things like that. And uh, Thomas Chalmers' famous sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection came to my mind. And it's an incredible sermon that I found to be a great help in my life, which is he's talking about how to approach sin in our lives. And you can do it in one of two ways if you're truly trying to fight sin in your life. You can approach it in two different ways. You can have the sin in your life that you're trying to abolish. You can have that at the forefront of your mind all the time. Like you can focus in on the sin. So say the sin in your life is stealing. And so you walk into a store and you see all these shiny things and you want them all. And in the forefront of your mind, in that moment, in the store is don't steal. Don't you steal. Don't steal. I don't want to steal. I don't want to be a thief. I don't want to do it. It's sin. I know it's wrong. I'm not going to steal. No, 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 no. And then you see the things and you're, oh, you're, all you're doing is thinking about stealing. And you're like, ah. But what Thomas Chalmers is saying in the expulsive power of a new affection is there's a better way than to focus in on the sin so that you don't sin. And it's to have an affection greater than the thing that you're striving after that's a sin in your life. It's to be so fixated on the good news of Jesus Christ, so amazed by the beauty of the gospel, so enthralled. So as you're walking through that story, you're thinking about Jesus became poor so that I could become rich. And he's offering me his riches, the greatest riches. And then you look down at the trinkets, like at the shiny things and go, those aren't even appetizing to me. I have something so much greater. That's the idea of the expulsive power of a new affection. It's that the gospel's always greater than anything. Like why, if you have a like Toyota Sienna, Swagger Wagon, like why would you think of stealing a used Ford Focus? Like I used to drive a used Ford Focus for a long time, but you never would. You never would because you have something greater. The gospel trumps all in our lives. What a dad analogy, hey? All the teenagers are like, that's really sad. You're talking about like, a, like having a cool minivan. Like, you just lost me, man. Fair enough. I have become what I loathe. All right. Um, but that is the prayer. That is the prayer. Your kingdom come in me, Lord. Give me a new heart. 
Give me new affections. Give me new attitudes. Just stir in me your kingdom vision that it would be my very joy in life. Let's take it uh, uh, from another angle. Your kingdom come in us. Thirdly, your kingdom come through us. That is to pray when we pray your kingdom come is to pray make your kingdom visible in the world through the church. That, 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 that's what the, that means. Your kingdom come through us. A part of the praying your kingdom come is to pray, Lord, make your kingdom visible where it's invisible in this world. Use your church to do that. We avail ourselves to that great cause. So let's back up a little bit and do some biblical theology here. God's plan was from the outset in Genesis chapter 1 to create a flourishing garden city. When we did a series on work and rest, we talked about this, about good work and this cultural mandate of creating culture the world over that's beautiful and we can give ourselves to good, hard work to create a flourishing garden city. That was God's plan all along under his sovereign kingship. And he had a command, which was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But shortly thereafter, sin entered the world through the cunning serpent and sin of man. And in his judgment, in God's judgment on humanity and the serpent, God reveals his plan to redeem the world. In casting his judgment, he's already whispering redemption. In this case, in the line, he shall bruise your head, about the snake, that Jesus would come and ultimately triumph and crush the serpent's head. He's this snake crusher. And then all these things happen, right? God's plan is for Israel to be the kind of a nation under his sovereign rule as king that would be a light and would be a beautiful, um, would be drawing to the other nations around them, but it never seemed to quite work. So God's plan all along comes to fulfillment in Jesus. Christ fulfills this prophecy. With all authority being given to him, he commissions his new collective community called the church to continue in God's commission to be fruitful and multiply. But this time he gives it in the form of the great commission. It's a retelling of be fruitful and multiply. But this time towards his church, he declares, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. I'm with you in that. I'm with you as you seek to serve in my kingdom. Go make disciples. So to pray your kingdom then is missional. This is one of our great values here at Central. We believe we're sent on mission. We gather in community centered around the gospel, taught from God's word, and then sent out into our community as gospel witnesses. The way 2 Corinthians talks about this is that we're given the message of reconciliation. We're given the ministry of reconciliation, and we are even said to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we, the church, are ambassadors for Christ in the world. And the avenue which by God is is drawing people to himself is through our ministry of reconciliation. He's making his appeal through us. 
This is, this is, this is almost a redoing of, 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 the, of the people of Israel entering into the promised land. There's this really interesting scenario. Before they've entered the land, God already declares that it's theirs. It's yours. That land is yours. Now, all you have to do is possess it. And the possessing of the land, although it was already theirs, according to God, was going to take work, was going to be hard, was going to have casualties, was going to be difficult. And so it is with the church. The kingdom of God is already inaugurated and we're instructed to live it and display it in the world. It's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. God's ways visible in the world. Our job is to bring the culture of heaven to bear on the world here and now. I have a few friends in my life that um, really change the culture in a room. Like when they come in the room, we all have a few people in our lives like this, that like when they enter the room, like they're the best storytellers. Everybody starts laughing pretty quick. And like the whole perspective and feel and just experience is just so wonderful because this person is just this really, they're a culture changer. They just change the culture in a room, change the culture among a group of friends. We all know people like this. Our job as the church is to bring the culture of heaven to bear on the world here and now. The fragrance of Christ brought into every space by the church as it goes, as it presses forward. Maybe you've heard it said that behind everything physical is something spiritual. Like Chilliwack has a lot of deep rooted, dark issues, challenges, things that plague our community. I guess he's the same. Eastern Fraser Valley in general is the same. There's real, very real darkness in our community. And Ephesians chapter six says that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And the way in which the church can primarily enter into that battle is on our knees in prayer, praying your kingdom come. And then from there, the church is to be engaged in the front lines, pushing back the darkness. This is the work of the church. One of my favorite quotes of all time by C.T. Studd, the great evangelist. Here's what he said. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The mission of the church is to push back the darkness with the light. I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about when he's being, be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world. Salt preserves everything good. Light shines into dark places. And listen, we're not the light. We're reflection, we're mirrors. We mirror the, the light that's shining of Christ that we can see that the world can't. And we, we work as mirrors in the world, pushing back the darkness, shining a light on it, going into spiritual battle on our knees in prayer, praying that the spiritual forces in our community would be broken so that physical and spiritual flourishing could happen. God's kingdom entails a society of God's people flourishing in the world under Christ as king. The church is a kingdom people in pursuit of a kingdom culture. Here's the last angle I want us to look at. Your kingdom come upon us. So to pray your kingdom come with this in mind is to pray the second last verse of the Bible where it says, he who testifies to these things says, and this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. 
And then the response of the apostle John and really the whole church ever since is amen. Come Lord Jesus. So to pray your kingdom come in this vein is to pray, come Lord Jesus, come again, return, set everything right. It's to pray for the kingdom to come upon us in the fullest sense. The future sense of the kingdom is the consummation of God's reign and eternal glory in the new heavens and the new earth. It's what's referred to as the eschaton, the return of Christ. But wouldn't you know it, aren't we like probably the culture, North American 21st century culture, to pray this least in all of history? Like there are other Christians on the planet right now in different places that are desperately praying, come Lord Jesus, come, return, make all things new, set everything right. Throughout church history, that has been a resounding prayer of the church. Come Lord Jesus. Can I just confess to you for a moment? I, that is typically not a desperate prayer of mine. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come back because you coming back is better. You coming back makes everything as it should be, and it's stunning. I desperately desire it. That's just not typically on my tongue, but it should. It should be. It should be my, my great desire for ourselves, yes, and for those suffering and pleading for it as well. We should be praying for Christ's return where he will set everything right, make all things new. The kingdom of God fully manifested through the new heavens and new earth. His rule fully revealed in the world. I just want to tell you this morning, just make a really practical call here. Today is a day of grace. Today is a day of salvation. It's an opportunity to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. This, this, this recognition, this acknowledgement. Yes, Jesus will come again and set everything right. But there's a warning here too, actually, when we're praying your kingdom come, Lord, return, we are, in a sense, also praying, Lord, bring judgment upon the earth. I mean, this, the scriptures are saturated with this. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Today is a day of salvation, the time to know him. There is a day coming when you can't. Exodus 34, verse 6, God speaking, says the same thing. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So to pray your kingdom come, while well, a prayer for Christ's return is also a prayer of for the day of judgment. I mean, this isn't just an Old Testament theme. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 says precisely the same thing. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Like, why hasn't Christ returned yet? It's been 2,000 years. Well, because in one sense, it's like a day for God. But listen to why he has not returned 
but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the new heavenly and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells the day of the lord is the day god will set everything right but to set everything right that can only be done through dealing with human wickedness here's what the bible is saying on this a day of judgment is coming when all of us every individual will stand before God and be judged. And so the truth of the matter is this. We will stand before God with reliance on ourselves or reliance on our Savior. Have you relied on Jesus Christ for your salvation? You will stand before God someday on your own merits or on the merits of Christ. I mean, this is the beauty of what's offered in Jesus is this phrase about being hidden in Christ. So when you're standing before the judgment seat of God, which is coming, to be hidden in Christ is for God to see not an ounce of our sin, of our wretchedness, of our fallenness, but to see Christ's righteousness in us. It's been imputed to us because we've asked for it, because we've turned our lives over to him and said, I need you, I love you. And so the day, the great day, Christ's return, can be a thing that we can long for. We can say, yes, I've trusted in Jesus, and I await that moment when I can stand before him, fully relying on all that Jesus has done. Today is a day of grace. It will not always be the case. Repent and believe the good news about Jesus. And if you're wondering what exactly that is, let me tell it to you. Let me tell you the gospel this morning, kind of in the context of kingdom and Jesus as king. Jesus' trial, Jesus being flogged, Jesus being sent to the cross. They did some interesting things to him in those moments. Do you know they put a crown on his head? They put a robe around him? Do you know they hailed him as king even though they were mocking him? And do you know that on the cross is where Jesus was high and lifted up? Crowned. Hailed as king. That's the kind of king this morning that you're invited to follow. That's the kind of king who would do that kind of thing for you and say, and my kingdom is better than you could imagine. Give your life to it. I mean, that's the king I want to know. That's the king I would give my life to. Why? Because he gave his life for mine. He put himself where I deserve to be, which is cast out, so that he could put me where he deserves to be before the throne of God. That's the gospel. That is good news. 18th century poet, writer, Friedrich von Schlegel. Man, they don't make names like they used to. I love what he says. He wrote, novels have a habit of concluding in the same way that the Lord's prayer begins with the kingdom of heaven on earth. The Lord's prayer begins with the way every fairy tale of ours ends. 
that it would just be set right, that everything would be perfected, that everything would be corrected, and that everything would be stunningly beautiful and good. The Lord's Prayer begins the way every fairy tale of ours ends, and Jesus invites us to hail Jesus as King, have him enthroned in our lives, and give ourselves to his kingdom, which is so much greater than any kingdom we could build on our own. Let's pray together. God, we we recognize in this rich line of a rich prayer that to pray your kingdom come is to pray my kingdom go. And many of us need to pray that here this morning. What have we been giving our lives to? Who's enthroned in our lives? My kingdom go, your kingdom come. Lord, we recognize to pray your kingdom come is to pray, make your kingdom visible in the world through the church. Oh God, we pray that you would make your kingdom visible in the eastern Fraser Valley through this church. Make us a kingdom-minded, kingdom-living in word and deed people who give ourselves to making the kingdom visible in beautiful ways that so draw and compel people in to who you are. And we recognize, Lord, to pray your kingdom come is to pray, come, Lord Jesus. And that's precisely what we ask this morning. Come, return in your good time. And may we be found proclaiming the gospel to everyone who will hear between now and then. In Jesus' name, amen.